The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. This hour is sponsored by There is a Season. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. Dayton's all news and talk is 1290-957-WHIO. There is a season turn, 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 and a time to Welcome to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Thank you very much for joining us to talk about life, its joys and its sorrows, its triumphs and its tribulations, its challenges, and of course, the solutions we discover through the different seasons of our lives. This show is about all of that and more. And we rely on your own stories and insights to make the program even better. Now, we can't take your calls today, but we'd love to hear from you. So just drop us an email to Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. We've been talking in recent weeks about various aspects of the coronavirus pandemic. And I've never known if it should be coronavirus or COVID-19 now. What are we on? What are they calling it? I see it both ways. Okay. I didn't know if coronavirus had fallen out of style. It just something. takes longer to say. Yeah. Well, yeah, it does. But COVID-19 sounds, I suppose, and, cooler, technically cooler. And, you know, you might want to say COVID-19 because at some point, corona may come and sue you for attaching their name to a virus. You mean the beer company? Yep. You never know these days. Uh, it's a litigious golly. society, yes. right, Bob? Yeah, we'll probably talk about that That's later. That's right. Well, we've been talking about the impact on our families from all of this, and particularly on our seniors living in residential communities um, that have severely limited our ability to see them. We talked a lot about that in the last couple of weeks. This has been but one element amidst many that have altered our social landscape and our relationship with those in power or those who have significant influence. Yes, and we've just barely skimmed the surface of some of those issues while also talking about loneliness, the grief process a lot of us have been through, and more recently, how we can perhaps bridge the gap in our relationships now through maybe some letter writing. I like that letter writing uh, conversation we had. There's a lot of good ideas that came from that. Mm-hmm. And I've spoke to some people about it and they're like, oh, I just love getting letters. I mean, so it really is a good thing. Maybe we'll see a, a you know, a, a renewed uh, a trend or something mm-hmm. in that. So today we're going to touch on several topics related to this issue of the age. But rest assured, there is a season we'll return in the coming weeks to more of our bread and butter issues of change, aging, and the care of our families. Yeah, now we're still going to be revisiting COVID-19 and its effect on all of our lives. But yes, some days we will try not to. To talk about it. <laughs> it's, that's almost impossible. There's no sports to talk about. There's no weather to talk about. Politics, everybody talks about. Well, there's weather. About. It's rain, 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 rain. Oh, yes. Yeah, very simple <laughs> conversation, right? Right. So what's in store for today? Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about our economy and the outlook going forward. Now, we're also going to talk about the ever-changing guidelines and orders that have been handed down by our governments and all of our healthcare authorities. Then later, we'll talk about one elephant in the room for a lot of organizations. That is liability related to COVID-19. And also, what is it going to look like for education, including higher education, come the fall? So let's first talk about the economy. So after flattening the curve, 
the mission seemed to change, wouldn't you say, Bob? I, I, I yes, in the beginning, I think there was a that was the big general panic topic, back in March. Right? right, right, okay. So now many talk as if one life lost to COVID nineteen is one too many, which of course in a, is an absurd standard to justify all that yeah. has taken place. Right, we lose one person and thousands more to all sorts of things and diseases and accidents in modern life. Right, right. And it's it's not that if, if I mean, fortunately, you and I have not been directly touched by, you know, any any person who has had this. Uh, we have heard of some other people who have had it in their family or somebody who knew a friend who had it. And it's obviously a tragedy. Oh, yeah, we're definitely not, right. you know. We have well over 90,000 people who, who have died That's because right. of this. It's, yeah. Uh, but the idea that has been coming from our, our officials has been this, this idea that we've moved past now the hospital flattening the curve question to we're going to crush COVID-19. We're going to obliterate it. Frankly, I mean, you know, we're not gonna, we're not, I mean, they've all, but the the only thing I can think of in recent memory that they've come close to, uh, well, we don't have smallpox that much anymore. And polio is down to less than a hundred cases a year, I think, uh, you know, in in some other parts of the world, we're not going to crush this right now. And this conversation that is so absolutist is leading uh, to policies that have been very, very restrictive. Right. And even if we were to crush it, which we're not, what will be next? Will we just continue to crush our entire economy as right. well? Right. So the interesting thing in this conversation is sort of the moral disgust that seems to emanate from lockdown proponents when you make the point that the economy is important. In fact, thinking corporately or, and I don't mean corporations, but corporately uh, or society on the whole, one could make the argument that the economy, that is the sum total of all of our work, and our play, and our worship, and our interactions, it makes all else possible. That's what the United States is here. That's what our culture is. It's all of our interactions that are wrapped up in this economy. And that makes it, in many ways, as important as the one life that a lot of people will talk about. Now, that sounds weird, right? Someone's equating a life to economy, and they're trying to make it uh, kind of a mercenary uh, issue. And that's that's really not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that for us to all shrink back from our responsibilities and our commitments to each other in an economic way doesn't really help at all. doesn't really do much to solve the problem for the one or for thousands. The fact that the white coats and their governor disciples have relegated the economy to something, you know, merely mercenary or dirty conveys an attitude that seems homed more in in the lab or in a university. It's kind of a purist argument. Well, this takes nothing from those who have seen misery, obviously on the front lines are those most at risk. Right. But for us to hide and close down indefinitely subordinates the rest of our lives to this one temporary challenge. Right. And the subordination comes with the force of law and an endless stream of bureaucrats willing to interpret and extend it however they wish, as well as arbitrarily judge and then, unbelievably, punish those in violation, often violations that just do not, you know, say this is punishable, really. Well, I mean, we said this in a, in a recent show. People are going show. to jail for walking outside or playing in a park with their child. Yes. Ridiculous. And, and we're pushing down <laughs> to people, uh, the police primarily, but other folks. Well, not just the police. There's also this idea of people, you know, spying on their friends, kind of like what happened in 
in um, not spying is not the word, but reporting on on people they know I've, who are in violation. I've been reporting on you. Both. I can only imagine what's been written about me. But the uh, <laughs> it, it's like some of the things that used to go on in some of the secret police states and so forth, where you have you know not only the nanny uh, government watching over you and telling you what you can and cannot do, but people sort of saying, hey, you know, you're not wearing a mask or you're not doing this, you're not doing that, and we've gotten to this mentality that's um, put the safety of the very next COVID-19 person ahead of all else that was previously common sense in our, in our society. So when we start talking about uh, the economy, one of the key questions is not whether someplace opens its doors, right? There are an awful lot of restaurants, bars, other kinds of places that want to open their doors. But what's critical mass for an entity to function, right? Can theaters in New York, this was talked about this past week, uh, Mark Stein was talking about it on Rush Limbaugh, can, can a theater in New York open up to 25% of its capacity? Can a university operate with 40% of its returning students? Major stores have filed for bankruptcy, uh, as will thousands of other companies, large and small. So certainly social distancing guidelines have a bottom line effect. But where is it written that six feet is the magic number. What about five? What about seven? Uh, are we going to have to have masks, not have masks? How many in a room? How many will work from home? There are thousands of micromanaged decisions to be made, which are going to cripple this economy indefinitely if we let them, all in the name of protocols that are not necessarily proven in any meaningful statistical way. I mean, think about this, right? You, you, we've heard different things. You've seen different things, right? Uh, I'm thinking about one store. I don't know if I want to mention it or not, but you, you walk up and you then have to walk to the side to go around a, a big railing, a big, big, you know, barrier put down there and then walk back to where you were and then go in the door. Hmm. Walmart. Okay. I'm thinking about Walmart, right? And so you, you basically get into this line and it's a line that allowed people to be every six feet apart, but it brings you back to the very same spot you would have been had you just walked in the door anyway. Yeah, I, th I think that a lot of places are trying to appear as though they want to protect their customers and employees. All the while, uh, there's so much variance in acceptability. I see masks on people that, you know, scientifically have absolutely no purpose, right? A thin piece of like a little bandana over their face, right? right. And their nose isn't covered, right? I saw somebody the other day driving their car with their gloves on. Okay, that is a big, I mean, <laughs> the gloves are just smoke and mirrors for a lot of things. They think if they wear the gloves, they're not going to get sick. Well, what about all the germs that are on the gloves? I and just, you take those off. unless you're going to, I mean, we don't want things to become even more enforceable or strict, obviously, but I, I saw a situation, actually, I have a friend who wrote about her experience at a hardware store. I'm not going to name the place, mm -hmm. but she was told she would be escorted out if she didn't have her mask on. There was nobody around her. She couldn't breathe very well, so she pulled it down. And an employee walked by and went and told her that if she didn't put it back up, she was going to be escorted out of the store. Right. And she's like, there's nobody around me at all. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense. Yeah, so, sense. so guidelines that started, you know, we, we were watching the president and advisors at the national level. Then they came to the governors and the, their various... Uh, uh, departments of health supervisors, and then they get passed down. There's the county level and so forth. And all the private entities can make whatever rule they want. And police in the field have to make judgment calls. You know, 
Um, it's like it's like a policeman, you know, sitting in the in the in the berm on the highway doesn't pull over everybody who's speeding, right? They have to make a judgment. So now they're going to go. They're going to spend their time going out looking to see if this person and that person's in compliance. And stores are going to do like like you just said, run the risk of losing a customer perhaps for life because of some small violation of the and policy. They did, according to my friend. Yeah, they're Won't not going be back. back. Right. Right. Exactly. So whether we want it or not, we're going to have to continue to balance the needs of our microeconomies, that is our, our household economies, uh, with the larger economy and the impact of lost business and closed businesses, as well as the potential for things like inflation and other problems down the road from recent remedies, all this spending that's going into the stimulus. Uh, but here's one little thing that I was wondering about. Will we get a refund on our property taxes for school? Doubtful. <laughs> I mean, it sounds yeah. silly, right? I'm, I'm not looking to bankrupt our schools, no. but right, no, I, I, I agree, right? And you're getting a portion, maybe, of what you've paid for, right? You, but because you've got the educators working online, helping your children get through the semester or the quarter. But no, that is a that is a a good a good question. You know. Um, Students at Duke have sued to get their tuition back. Right. At the higher level, higher education level, they're saying, I got to get my tuition back. But mm. at the public school level, are we going to get that? Right. Well, they won't be alone. But let's turn it to the public sector, right? The move to make our children stay home and have to learn through online methods may or may not harm or benefit kids. It certainly harmed parents, though, who needed to work, assuming yeah. they even still had jobs, and, and many still did. But online learning is not the same as a school, and it definitely doesn't cost as much. So where's the refund? Right. I've been forced to pay taxes, and those taxes went for something I did not choose. That is, I'm sure, many a thought. You yeah, know? yeah. If I wanted to homeschool, and this is a prime example, I wouldn't get a credit like for my school choice, and I'd probably take flat from those in the NEA. Right. I mean, a lot of people are, you know, in the NEA and the large unions will have nothing to do with homeschooling. Right. Uh, but here's a situation where we've already paid the taxes. They're already in. They're already taken out. And we're not going to see that money back. That's right. Just one more factor that's going on in the economy. When we return, we'll talk about other ways that COVID-19 might cost us big if the trial lawyers get their way. We'll discuss litigation writ large and maybe closer to home. Stay with us. You are listening to There Is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Thanks for being with us. We're talking today about some things we'll all be thinking about going forward with regard to COVID-19. What is the impact on our economy? What is the impact of restrictions placed on our lives by our governments? If you'd like to share your thoughts, please email us at bobandgloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. So, Gloria, will I be liable? For everything and absolutely. <laughs> You should be standing right next to your attorney. <laughs> uh, but not just me or my company, but, but me personally. You know, a lot has already been discussed about potential liability for coronavirus. 
that is incurred in the workplace or the school. I know that there are a lot of organizations that are probably paralyzed here. Uh, some kind of broad-based indemnification uh, may finally work its way into law. I know Mitch McConnell was talking about that in the Senate. But trial lawyers are already lining up to get the first test case. You can imagine the commercials that you see, a lot of them late at oh, night. Oh, yeah. Were you a victim of blah, blah, blah? But let's go small. Here's something that just popped in my head this past week. You know you have that medical payments part of your home policy? You know, mm -hmm. sometimes it's $5,000. It might be $1,000 for some people. It's to cover you if someone gets hurt at your house, whether you were responsible or not. So let's say you left a rake out in the yard and you forgot. Somebody steps on it and whacks you in the forehead, right? Right. It's also used by the insurance companies there also to kind of insulate the rest of the product that they're offering you. So you have this little pot of cash for those small things. Right. So if someone trips and falls on your front porch, your policy can cover that injury, at least in part, with a small amount, right? right Usually right. 1000 or $5,000. Now, if you were found to have put bacon grease on that front porch, then liability insurance and possibly an umbrella policy would come into play if the person ran up significant medical bills. I tried to put bacon grease on the, on the porch for you today. Did it work? You, no, I just always have to maneuver the trash cans that are out <laughs> by the road. I know. It's hard. It's, uh, well, I met that, with my attorney yesterday. It, Oh, man. And this chair I'm sitting in. It's very hard. Well, that may fall at any moment. <laughs> um, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> so fast forward to coronavirus, right? It's serious. It's swift. So if I'm a carrier without knowing it, and you ask me to care for your elderly family member, and I get that person sick, are you going to try to sue me? Ooh, mm. that's creepy. Or if one college kid visits his aunt and uncle over the summer only to find out later that the aunt, who happens to be a nurse, has been treating COVID patients and has contracted the disease, and then the college student takes it to school and infects 40 other kids in the dorm, do 40 families get to sue? Do they sue the college kid? Do they sue the nurse? Do they sue the university? This is paralysis, and it threatens to affect us with destructive litigation. Worse, perhaps, is what it's going to do to our relationships. You sneezed, you know, when we were together, maybe playing cards, Bob, mm -hmm. and your kid coughed on my kid. I mean, where does this end? So those are just some things to think about. We're going to go into the news here. I know we'd love to stir the pot here. But think about the whole liability issue. Are we going to be paralyzed as a society because we're afraid of litigation related to COVID-19. We'll be back with more right after the news, including questions about what will happen with education in the fall and particularly higher education. Stay close. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Steeze in the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. We've been talking today about uh, a few few things that are on everybody's mind. We've talked about the economy, and there's so much. We were just saying in the, in the break how we could do many shows just talking about uh, the impact on the economy, these different rules, how people are going to uh, deal with the labor market, 
how they're going to market. We talked about the airlines recently, how many people said they wouldn't go back on a flight. How many 67% people... as of about 10 days ago said they won't go back on an airline flight. And think about all the, all the folks we know who like to go out to eat and so forth and, and what's going to happen to that market. Right, right. I Another mean, huge percentage of people. Yes, 78% said they're not comfortable going to a restaurant. And I just read something yesterday where a lot of people said, you know, I think my new going out to eat is curbside. Kind of like it. I'm enjoying my home more. So there are some huge changes Changes ahead. In, in how we're acting as a society. Mm -hmm. And that might be fine if you, if you like curbside or you like cooking more at home, and that's terrific. Uh, except in Michigan where you can't have any gathering larger than one person, I think. Even, to, even if yeah. you're out on a boat in the middle of a lake. Right. Even if you're, even if you're Well, unless a, it's a boat without a motor. And then you can bring a whole slew of people with you. Yes. But if you just, have a motorboat, right. two people from the two family, people. your kids have to sit on the the shore and now, watch if you're out in the woods do you have to do you, is no i think the woods are okay it's just oh. the water okay anyway uh so so there's obviously <laughs> impact here that is coming from uh the directives that are being handed down from our our government and how that will impact the economy going forward and we'll try to update you on, on bits and pieces of that as we go forward uh now we were talking uh, we're going to get to the education uh, topic in a moment but we were discussing this whole issue of liability you think about how that might paralyze the thinking of a lot of corporations. Um, not only are they saying already, hey, if you can work from home, we're going to prefer that you continue to work from home. But what happens in uh, an awful lot of, uh, say, white collar environments where you've got these cubicle farms, you've got everybody sitting in an open space, right? Somebody sneezes. We don't know where that person's been or who they've been with or who that other person's been with. Somebody gets sick. Oh, well, that's where we're going to start being watched and traced, Bob. Yes, the whole the whole issue of tracing <laughs> yeah, and, right. and big data, you know, out there trying to track down what everybody else does. What does it do, though, socially to us? You know, do we all start to look at each other weird uh, every time there is a cough or a sneeze or a fever? Uh, are we all going to have to have a, a coronavirus test for every malady that comes up? Think about it with your kid. Kids get stuff all the time. Right, right. You know, are we going to have to rush that kid in and say, better do a COVID test on them? And who knows? I mean, although a lot of kids don't don't seem to be getting uh, coronavirus, what if somebody does test positive? What does that mean? Does that mean that everyone else is necessarily going to have <clears throat> dire situations that come from that? Well, and there there's another whole topic of conversation there. The testing isn't without false negatives and false positives right. either. So, you know, we're just going around here in circles. But we're trying to make policy on this stuff, and it's got people paralyzed. And at the personal level, I kind of wonder if it will have, there'll be this stigma somehow that, you know, you did this with your life and this behavior, or you're a business traveler, so you're at more risk because you're out in a plane with a bunch of people, and you brought that into our personal... Well, and that may be true, that a person's more at risk by how they live their life and where they go, right? right. But does it warrant any type of litigation punishment or, um, you know, disorientation with other people? That's the real question. I, I can I see mean, a new product for the insurance market. You know, you got your umbrella policies. You've got your, oh, your oh. homeowner's policy. You've you got liability. Now you have a special COVID, you know, rider in there for... I think employers really are probably very concerned about this, as are the university administrative yeah, and I used that example before about uh, the kid going back to the dorm, okay? You've built these dorms. You've got thousands of students returning. Are you going to suddenly say you can't be here or we're going to sanitize this thing three times a day? 
um, or you can't you can't gather on a porch and have a beer. I mean, that's a part it, of college so, for a lot of kids. Absolutely, and there are some really unbelievable suggestions being made that I don't think are realistic. But you know, the other thing that people have to think of, we all have a choice about whether or not we send our kid back to college. So you look at the litigation thing and say, I don't think colleges should be liable really, because we all know the risks with college students are all going to be together. Right. It's a, it's a product we're choosing. It's really choosing. a choice. That's now, right. Now in the, in the primary and secondary level, especially in public <laughs> education, there's some real questions going on there. They're talking about how many feet apart, you know, kids need to sit and so forth. Uh, at first I thought, what a boon for teachers, you know, to suddenly say, okay, we're not just going to be open in the morning from eight o'clock till three. We're going to have school around the clock because we need to have that many more shifts of students who are spread six or more feet apart. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And if you think about it realistically for the, you know, the, the elementary students, some of the things being suggested are six feet apart, all desk, all facing the same direction, no sharing of any uh, supplies, you know, pencils, crayons, markers, whatever. And all these arrows, I was reading this last night, arrows going down the hallway, right? Um, no cafeteria. Kids will be eating in their classrooms. No field trips, which, okay, you can do without field trips, but no playground or recess time. Nothing where there's a gathering of lots of kids running around. The only thing I can think of is the fear that we're going to instill in these kids, which would inhibit, I would think, the learning environment they're going to be continually like stressed out they can't play together they can't work together no. right there can't be at four desks all it, together sharing it's, a project it's just it, it's just so it's sad so there's going to have to be a, a they, you know the big corporate word is be paradigm shift there's going to have to be a totally different way of thinking about this which is to say we don't have a vaccine no we don't have antibody uh, programs and regimens that necessarily work yet those things may come. But in the meantime, why don't we go back to what a lot of people were suggesting at the very start of this whole crisis, which was let's focus on our most vulnerable populations. Those people who have uh, who, are, who are older, those people who have an awful lot of comorbidities, those people who have, are immunocompromised. Let's focus on that. And the rest of us find a way to deal with this like we have many, many other things. Right. Because you can't... either. It's, it's impractical to try to devise methods that will account for every last thing. So the day that so-and-so, you know, a little third grader violates the policy, does mom and dad get a call and that kid get yanked out of school because they did something wrong? Well, I mean, just think about the whole idea. If somebody does go to school and they, they crop up with um, they're not feeling well or a fever in the middle of the day, right? So we've talked about how contagious COVID-19 is. Does everybody in that classroom get sent home and get quarantined for two weeks? I mean, these are these are things that we are, it's unbelievable. Are that gonna, won't work. It just to, won't work. Will they go down to the school nurse and find the school nurse completely covered in scrubs with a, with a big mask and goggles? and Fear, right. Oh the, the mental issues that children are going to have going forward because of all of this fear-mongering, yeah. right? They can't be children. It's, it's really going to affect us. So we have some things to think about here in terms of policy, but also in terms of just common sense. What are we going to do to get back on uh, with life? Right. Now let's shift gears here a little bit in some time that we have remaining and talk about higher education and what 
some of the opportunities or, or uh, permutations of that might look like. Right. So in the midst of all this uncertainty, it's, it is worth looking at the ideas out there for higher education and some of the potential scenarios for reopening college and universities may look like this. So the first one is to go all virtual, mm -hmm. okay? Perhaps the most obvious option for the fall is to continue doing what they've been doing this spring. They've signaled colleges that they're planning for this option, even if it is a last resort. Um, and in out in California, one of the state universities was one of the first to announce publicly that it's planning for a fall semester online, saying they want to resume in-person teaching as soon as possible, but we also need to make sure that we're safe. With virtual classes, students can remain at home, although some colleges are exploring bringing them back to campus where they could use the school's Wi-Fi to take online classes. As long as they're Wi-Fiing six, six feet, feet apart. apart from each other out on the lawn. Right. I don't know how you do that. You know, with I'm, I'm of sorry. Students, I'll just but... insert this one thing. This reminded me a little bit, a little bit of the thing that happened out at the school. Uh, what was it? Antioch years ago where they had the, the rules for dating. Do you remember that? The, the, the thing came out and it said, you know, you have to ask if you want to hold my hand and, you know, es escalate that to wrapping your arm around my waist. And so they were trying An to... An institution was trying to enforce yes, that. Yes, a college here uh, in our area was trying to have specific rules uh, for engagement, you know, not, not getting engaged, but... I know what you mean. For boy and girl to be together so as not to violate any of the rules. Mm. Uh, just anyway. Okay, so that's one possibility is, is that all we online. go all virtual. Another thing is a delayed start. A delay in the semester would allow school to wait, you know, until it was safer to reopen, whatever that means. One option is to push things back a month or two and start in October or November. Another idea would be to push it all the way back to January, an entire semester for schools. Spring semester would become the fall. You know, and, and that would change the whole clock. And then they wanted to stay on campus next summer to make up for the actual spring semester, right? Right. One downside to a late start is that students, uh, what will they do in the meantime? Are they going to rush out and get jobs that probably won't be there? Uh, and if your kid doesn't have a lot of financial stability in his or her life, uh, can they rely uh, on the campus or a university to provide you know some place for them to live and to work right so another option would be what they're calling a hybrid model which means some of it online and some face-to-face -face. um and it may be a good choice for campus campuses that don't have enough classrooms to allow the adjusting face-to-face -face teaching with those requirements of social distancing so you might have some of the larger classes being taught online simply because how can you social distance a classroom with 150 to 350 students. I mentioned a boon for teachers hiring more teachers. What they really are is construction boom. Yeah, well, Everyone will say, I need three times the size of Yeah, a and you got to be careful with that too because, you know, then there's all this new building and then it sits empty later when we don't have right. the social distance, right. right? And it costs a lot more money in the meantime. Yeah, so, you know, so these large entry-level classes um, might have a lecture component online and then maybe they would meet in smaller groups um, in person. And this, of course, also would work for anything that has a lab. It's really hard to do mm -hmm. labs online. Mm -hmm. So that's called the hybrid. Some online, some face-to-face. -face. Another uh, idea being floated out there is the shortened blocks. In block scheduling, students take just one course at a time for a shorter duration. So they cram it down into, you know, whatever Condense. it is. Six weeks, yeah. four weeks, three weeks, whatever it is. Uh, that's an opportunity for kids to rotate through. I'm not exactly sure how that would solve everything, you know, because it kind of shifts that kid's curriculum to 
needing to happen some other time. Well, it's, um, yeah, it's just it's just condensed, I think. Right. It, it, it does allow some flexibility for scheduling of physical space and, and teachers. So block scheduling has been looked at. Right. The other one would be to have only some on campus. Now, this is interesting, and I've heard of some schools definitely having this as an idea. This is um, suggesting bringing only the freshmen back to campus and having upperclassmen either delay their start or be online and remote. This idea centers on research that shows just how important a student's first year of college is as a predictor of their later graduation. Adapting to campus can be a challenge, so this would allow first-year students to get comfortable, have the extra support, and less, you know, people on the campus. So um, it would be easier for the upperclassmen. They're already familiar with the on-campus environment and how those classes work. Well, and there's a very real... Uh, dollars and cents issue why you want the freshmen in the door. Yeah, you want them to come back. That's your new customer, right? That's right. These other kids who are already there and they're already invested are going to say, I'm not going to interrupt my curriculum. I want to get my degree. There you go. But getting those freshmen in the door is the the key. Colleges across the country are still trying to woo the the students with extra summer classes. They want them. Yeah. We'll be back with more here in just a moment uh, when we return and we'll have some final thoughts for you. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. We've been talking about COVID-19 today again and talking about uh, the economy and litigation. I'm waiting for that lawsuit to show up. Am I going to be served a summons today? I didn't want to pay the extra, so I just mailed it. I didn't even do priority. I know where you live, Bob. You just stuck it in the box. Actually, yeah, it's right over there under your printer. It's on the dining table. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, And uh, we were talking about here options for how colleges may go back to school. But let's return just in the time remaining here a little bit about the economy. you know, one of the big things that's going to be upset here is the whole labor market. A lot of people have been talking about how these trillions of dollars, which have no question, you know, uh, provided some sustenance to people who are suddenly uh, out of jobs. For absolutely no, no needed wrong. for some. Yes, absolutely. But in a lot of cases, people were getting paid more than they were making to begin with. In many cases, right. right. And so so you burn through money pretty quickly when you're talking about a country as large as ours. And I remember, you know, Nancy Pelosi touting this $3 trillion bill that was loaded up with all this other pork and these uh, leftist dreams and so forth. Windmills, some odd stuff oh, that will really help the people out of work, right? Yeah, because yeah, they can go build windmills. Uh, but but then, you know, the, 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 the people on the right and the, the senators come back saying, well, that's dead on arrival. What's going to happen? They're going to come up with a $2 trillion package and think that they've claimed some high moral ground, right? Right. We're talking trillions of dollars. And who's going to pay for that? down the road, us and our children. Right. And I mean, and to be really specific about it, you know, there are things that we really all need to think about when we're saying, oh, yay, another stimulus package, something to give us some relief. Social Security, it's got to come from somewhere, all this money, right? Higher taxes. It's quite noticeable that the politicians aren't talking about that. Mm-hmm. how it's going to get paid for. Oh, well, they never do. And, right, and, but we all should be thinking about that. And when you, when you really come down to it, when you see a crisis this big, what does government do? What do most of our elected leaders do? They know how to spend money. 
That's what they do. And they don't care where it comes from. They don't spend money like you and I need to spend money in our budgets, pay bills, make sure the mortgage gets paid and so forth. They just print it if they need it, quantitative easing, I think it's called. And they, they just promise, 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 promise so that they can, yes, they, they can do the altruistic thing. They can care for their fellow citizen. They can take care of their constituents, but basically not tell them the ugly side of the story, which right. is you're going to face inflation. We're going to be bankrupting other programs that are already running short on money. Right. Absolutely. There's so much more we'd love to chat with you about, but our time is so fast each week, and we, we apologize for that. Be sure to check out our website, thereisaseasonshow.com. Some interesting changes coming there. You're going to love the new site when it launches very soon. And uh, where can you get in touch with us? Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. That'll do it for us today. Remember, dear friends, seek grace in every step. Never regret growing older. It is a privilege denied to many. We're here for each other, and we're here for you. For my dear friend and litigant, Gloria, <laughs> our terrific producers and everyone who makes the show possible, thank you for your time, attention, and interest to what we do here. We'll see you again soon. You've been listening to There is a Season on 12, AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Have a blessed week. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk.